Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi everyone, what's up? This is episode 43 of the Traveling Image Makers podcast, and I'm your host, Hugo Che. Before introducing this week's guest, I would just like to inform you that September 30, 2016 is International Podcast Day. International Podcast Day is September 30th, and you can help spread the word. International Podcast Day is dedicated to promoting podcasting worldwide. You may be asking, what can I do to get involved? It's pretty simple. First, head over to internationalpodcastday.com and check the suggestions. Second, use hashtag podcastday to join in the conversation. Remember September 30th. Now, let's start the conversation. As part of the event, we are taking part in the Gratitude Award competition. This award uh, is uh, assigned to the podcast with the most engaged global audience, as measured through international podcast reviews in iTunes. So if you want to help us stand out and maybe win this award, you can go to ttim.photo slash iTunes. This will lead you to the iTunes application where you can leave us an honest review or even a simple rating will, uh, will do fine. And now on to this week's episode for which you will find all the information and links at ttim.photo forward slash 43. What does it take for an image to go viral and be shared on dozens of websites? Is it a matter of chance, or does luck favor the prepared? What can we do to make our pictures more shareable and popular? Would you be ready to handle and exploit the unexpected interest? These are all questions that I discuss together with my guest of this week, Lorenzo Montezemolo, whose Fog Fingers photograph has recently and unexpectedly skyrocketed into the realm of viral images having been published on the front page of Reddit, on Petapixel, Board Panda, Boing Boing, Colossal, The Washington Post and others. Lorenzo is a landscape and nature photographer living in the San Francisco area. He has owned a camera since he was six years old, but it's only been in the last five, ten years that he's become truly serious about photography. While he enjoys traveling to far-flung places with his camera, he considers himself fortunate to live in a place where natural beauty is so close by, often just a short drive away. And a short drive was all he needed to reach the location where he took this image that has become so famous. So I encourage you to listen to Lorenzo tell the story of this photograph, how it came to be, and how its unexpected fame has managed to change his life, so to speak. Enjoy! A very warm welcome to you, Lorenzo. How are you? Thank you. I'm very well, Hugo. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's uh, it's a great pleasure to to be talking to you today. Actually, we were in contact uh, a few months ago, uh, and then we things didn't gel. We didn't uh, find a time to to record this interview. But finally, I we, we managed, and uh, so we we had this the chance, the the opportunity to to meet the the Casus Belli was the an image that we will talk about. Uh, shortly, but first I would like you to to tell a bit to tell our audience a, a bit about yourself. Especially, I would like to know what was your 
your path into photography? How did you get started? And where is your photography now, if you want to, to explain a, a little bit? Sure. Um, well, um, my first camera was given to me when I was seven years old by my aunt who came to visit me when I was living in Italy. I should mention that I was born in Italy and I moved to the States when I was nine years old. Um, but on a visit, uh, one of my aunts brought me a little Kodak uh, 110 film camera, and that was sort of my introduction to photography. Started taking pictures with that and uh, found that I enjoyed it quite a bit, even, even at that age. Of course, mostly at that time, they were just snapshots of family and friends, but um, I very much enjoyed it. And um, then later on in high school, I uh, took a photography class uh, my freshman year, my first year of high school, and uh, that was mostly focused on developing film and prints, not so much on the artistic side of how to capture good photos mostly just on how to process them in the darkroom. So I took uh, that class and found I enjoyed it and ended up sticking with it for a few years during high school, had a few different cameras, um, again, mostly taking just sort of snapshots or we would get these assignments in the class and uh, we just fill those out and submit them. And, uh, Then I took a bit of a break from photography for probably about 15 years when I went to college and then shortly thereafter as I was entering the workforce and so on and so forth. Um, but then on a, on a visit to my parents in Chicago, a family friend was in town and he had just bought a Nikon D70 and he was all proud of it and was showing me the image quality. And up until that time, I'd been very skeptical of digital because the image quality just wasn't there. When you saw a photo from a digital camera, you knew it was from a digital camera. Um, but with this uh, D70, I was really impressed with the quality. So I ended up uh, taking a birthday check that I got and I went and I bought one myself and just started taking pictures nonstop pretty much for the first few years really getting to learn the camera, how it worked, um, different techniques for achieving different looks and so forth. Um, so I really got to focus on the more artistic side of it at that point. Um, and also, you know, with digital, that um, immediate satisfaction of being able to review your images and make adjustments really, I think, um, got me over the, the learning curve rather quickly. Um, And uh, I sort of just sort of took pictures for fun for quite a few years. And then I discovered Flickr and became active on there and started seeing a lot of other people's work and got some inspiration and some direction. Found out that I really enjoyed taking landscape photos. And um, at that time, I was uh, living in Northern California, as I am now, and really had not done a lot of exploration of my own area but through photography was able to really get a chance to visit a lot of different places and uh, and get to know my uh my own backyard much better yeah it's a story that looks it's common to to many other uh, passionate yeah. amateurs if i understand correctly you're not a full-time professional photographer at this point right 
No, I'm not. By day, I'm a. Uh, I work in in technology. I'm a, I'm a network engineer. So, uh, how so would you? Photography is yeah. also artistic output for me. Uh, what is the? How is important? Uh, is photography in your life? How would you say? Oh, it's 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 really important. I mean, um, I think uh, uh, in the last uh, couple of months, I've um, I've been doing this sort of project on fog and uh august was a particularly good month here in the san francisco area and almost every day i i did the hour plus drive up to marin county from my house um i think i missed maybe five days during the whole month of august and um so i'd say it's, it's very important um as i mentioned it's it's an artistic outlet also mm -hmm. because My day job is not particularly creative. So, so yeah. So you mentioned fog, and uh, this is the reason why I got back in in touch with you, and I wanted to interview you to to talk about this image that uh, is called Fog Fingers, if I yeah. if I'm correct. And it uh, it basically went viral. It was picked up by by various by various sources, Boing Boing, Petapixel, and uh, and other popular sites and blogs. And well, for people who are just listening to the to the audio, uh, it's uh, maybe, I, I will ask you to describe it. But for uh, people, can just go to the to the website at ttim.photo forward slash forty three. And while you're listening, uh, if you're not listening in your car while driving, you can uh, you can look it up if you haven't already. So can you can you describe this image? Yes, um, it's a uh, it's a long exposure of the fog um, sort of slithering its way over this ridge that's below the vantage point that I that I took it from, and um, you can see some. Uh, it's it's a, a ridge that has some houses on it, so you can see some residential lights. Um, but because I was able to do a very long exposure. The, the fog is really smooth and you can really see these sort of waves of fog as they go over all these various different contours in the in the um in the scene but the focal point is this one little ridge where the fog is sort of broken up between these different groves of trees and it looks almost like these kind of fingers reaching over this ridge and that's that's why i named it that way yeah and how did the the idea originate where you said you were there in that area basically the, for the whole month of august so it was not just one one lucky shot it was something you already attempted a similar subject before so um what what gave you the idea of taking this particular shot of this subject Well, I have a I have a group of people that I that I get together with frequently who are um, local in that area, and um, we've been shooting together, as I said, all throughout late July and August. And uh, we just happened to plan to um, do a little hike on this evening because uh, it was a full moon, so we were um, hoping to get um, some nice illumination above the fog. And uh, so we got together, and one of the folks that, w that joined our group, who's not a regular, had spent a lot of time in that area during his youth. So he was familiar with a trail that was um, accessible by uh, 
<clears throat> jumping over a fence and uh, climbing about 45 minutes up this very steep hill um, to a vantage point that was relatively unobstructed of this little ridge below that we had been admiring for a while. So we all did the hike up and uh, there were four of us, actually five of us, we all set up there and uh, spent about uh, two hours just taking different uh, photos of the fog and uh, watching as the moon was coming up and illuminating the scene pretty much as we had hoped for. So that's how that... that so for people that have maybe the, live under the illusion that this might be an easy photo to take, I mean, your words are very clear. You, you, you went there many times and during a month there is maybe only one full moon day or a few days where the moon is full or bright enough for this kind of light and you need to have the right amount of fog and maybe right. wind that is moving the fog across the landscape and you need to find the right spot and it takes 45 minutes of hiking so you probably went to different spots during all the years you've been going in that area so it's it's not by mistake i mean there is nothing random about this picture right it takes a lot of effort to to get it just to to get yeah, the right conditions right. yeah yes and and aside from the conditions it also takes some um, some amount of skills to select the right the right settings uh, can you can you uh, expand a bit on the on the settings that you used. What was your uh, your thinking behind this photo? You said a long exposure and how long and 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 why that long and not more or less? Um, sure. Um, well, so uh, the just the basic technical details are that it was uh, a three minute and six second photo. Um, I took it at f8 um, with a, uh, a Nikkor 24 to 70 millimeter lens um, and I used the camera my camera's lowest um, ISO setting for it because I, I really wanted to be able to just stretch the exposure as long as it was practical as far as uh, how did I select that specific length of time um, well I uh, I didn't want to sit up there for an hour with my shutter open, so I chose not to use my 10-stop filter. Um, and instead, I chose a, a six-stop um, neutral density filter. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, basically what that does is just a dark piece of glass that fits in a holder that goes in front of your lens, and it just obscures the light from hitting the sensor. So it allows you to really stretch out your exposures by minimizing the amount of light that enters the camera. And um, I knew I wanted to do a long exposure. The, the fog is really, it really smooths out and gets these sort of waves and striations as you do a long exposure. And I think that's really visually appealing. So that was my intent all along and, and has been as I've been um, shooting the fog has been to capture it um, in long exposures. So those are those are sort of the technical details. I guess I should mention that I uh, used a Nikon D810 camera to take the photo. So it takes a lot of experience with shooting the fog to to figure out. Okay, I need this specific length of time to to get this effect because maybe a shorter one will not uh, give that smoothness, and a longer one will probably make everything so smooth that it's totally undistinguishable. That's correct. Yeah, That's right. So. Um, yeah, there's a, a real um, sort of sweet spot there of exposure, and it takes some trial and error to, to find it. And it really varies depending on the conditions. 
sometimes you have fog that's moving incredibly quickly and 30 seconds or a minute might be long enough to give you the effect that you want. Um, but, um, that wasn't enough for me, uh, in terms of what I wanted from the photo. I tried some shorter exposures and then realized that I needed to stretch it out. So that's when I added in the, the, uh, neutral density filter. And, 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 yeah. I want. and you let us know about the, the equipment that you use, because I mean, that's, uh, uh, that, that's not something that you could take with a phone. <laughs> right. You, you need uh, you, people say that ca that gear doesn't matter, and to a certain extent, I can agree. But for some kind of photos, I mean, you need the right equipment. Doesn't actually doesn't have to be by necessity a full frame Nikon professional camera with the best glass they have. But you need a good camera. You need good glass. You need a sturdy tripod where the, the camera will not sag during the three minutes. That that could be. I mean, you might have the best camera weighing 10 kilos and then you have a flimsy tripod and during three minutes the camera sags and everything is uh, is blurry. So you need uh, the right equipment. <laughs> that's that's absolutely true. And I think tripod is, is an essential part of long exposures that I think a lot of people miss. You need something that's sturdy, vibration resistant, especially if you're standing up on a ridge. Um, because, you know, it can get quite windy. Uh, so you really need something that's stable and won't, and won't vibrate. Um, so that's a pretty critical part, too. And I think you're right. Equipment doesn't always matter, but in some cases, it really does. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, so we mentioned Nikon as a camera brand. Uh, so you, if you also want to say what, what kind of tripod and ball and head you have, maybe people will be, I mean, we're not... Uh, paid by anyone we're not doing a commercial so people know it's a, this is a disclaimer but if you want to say what what kind of tripod you use sure yes i use a really right stuff mm -hmm. tripod um and uh, i'm embarrassed to say that i don't know the specific part numbers for the for the legs and the ball head but it's a fairly heavy carbon fiber tripod uh, and uh, sorry i shouldn't say heavy I'd say that for how sturdy it is, it's fairly lightweight, but mm -hmm. to pick it up, it's not the lightest thing ever. And I have a fairly substantial ball head on there. Um, so in total, the tripod is fairly heavy, but for how stable it is, um, it really is lightweight. Uh, I would consider it to be lightweight. And it's a fantastic tripod. I've been shooting with it for a little over three years. And I've taken it with me all over the world. Um, it's sturdy, and uh, I'm just really impressed with the with the craftsmanship and and the design and and how well it functions. It's really yeah. it's really a wonderful tripod. It's uh, it's really impossible to remember the manufacturer number, the name of one's tripod. Mine is a Gitzo GT five two four six seven something <laughs> they give those numbers it's impossible to to remember them unless uh, there's a certain company that calls their tripod something like brian and that is much easier. right right exactly exactly <laughs> i wish everybody would do that <laughs> anyway so uh, so you, you took this photo did you immediately i mean realize while looking at the, the photo on the back lcd or when you downloaded it to the computer at home that this was a, a winner Um, I always have trouble, um, when I look at the, at the back of the camera, um, particularly because when I'm, when I'm shooting in a scene like that, which was a, a nighttime scene, I generally have the display on the back of my camera turned all the way to its dimmest setting so that it's, you know, I'm not getting 
blasted by by light from the LCD when I'm checking my photos. So it's not always easy to tell um, when I'm on the scene whether I got exactly the shot that I wanted. Generally, what I what I do is I do a little bit of pixel peeping just to make sure, for example, that you know the trees are sharp and that my tripod didn't get bumped. But usually, it's not until I get home and I get my photos into my um, my catalog that I can really take a look at them on my computer screen and determine whether they're winners or not. I, I had a pretty good feeling about this one at the time, um, but uh, but I wasn't 100% sure until I got home. Yeah, and did it take long to develop it, to, to process it to its final version? Uh, no, actually, um, I cropped it a little bit and, uh, and uh, did a couple of other things. Uh, did a little bit of uh, spot removal for a spot that I had on my sensor um, and uh, a little bit of, uh, of uh, color balance adjustment. But um, other than that, uh, not too much editing. I'd say it probably took me about 30 to 45 minutes to edit that photo from start to finish. And then you put it online, I assume. And how long did it take before it started to get really noticed? Well, I, I put it online. Um, I put it online uh, several weeks before it went um, quote unquote viral. Um, I, it had been on my Flickr and my Instagram for about two weeks. And then um, uh, last Thursday night, I decided, you know, I'm going to publish this on Reddit on Friday. So I uploaded it to the image hosting site that people on Reddit seem to really like. It's called Imager. And posted it there with plans to put it up on Reddit the next day and went to bed. And when I woke up, uh, I discovered that it had really taken off on Imager. And as a result, somebody had lifted it from my account and uploaded it to their own and then shared it to Reddit from, from their own account, mm -hmm. um, which was interesting because when I woke up in the morning, all of a sudden I had a whole bunch of new Instagram followers. I had several emails from people letting me know that my image had been stolen and all of this. And eventually what I figured out was that some astute Redditor had figured out that that photo was mine. I think he did a reverse image search. And so he commented with a link to my Flickr and that comment ended up becoming the top comment. And in doing so, it drove a lot of traffic to my Flickr. And, you know, from there, people were able to figure out how to get to all of my other social media uh, um, places. And um, yeah. and that's sort of kind of how, how it started. Then I got contacted by a, a, a company called Colossal. Um, that do art and design, uh, and so they shared it on their Facebook page and on their Instagram, and uh, wrote up a little article about it with my permission. And uh, from there, a bunch of other uh, websites uh, sort of re repackaged that same that same item and uh, and published it on their own sites, like um, Board Panda, Petapixel, oh, a couple Panda. of others. And yeah. is it still going strong? I mean, is it still being shared widely? Do you do you monitor the if I see the onboarding panda and boing boing and petapixel, they obviously link back to your site. Do you monitor the traffic there? Do you have an idea of uh, how what kind of I traffic do. it is driving? I do. I'll say that in the probably the first 
four or five days that, that it was sort of shared widely. Um, I went from having an average of maybe two to 300 hits a day on my website to well over a hundred thousand. Um, so it was a, it was a pretty significant, uh, uptick in traffic. Um, I'm really grateful actually that, uh, that the colossal linked to my website and various other things because it really did bring quite a bit of traffic. So yeah, I'd say that was a, a very substantial increase in traffic to my website. And it's died down over the last few days a little bit, but um, it's still significantly higher than it was um, before. So so have there been any fallouts from all this popularity? I mean, companies that might want to, to license it, they're asking you for uh, a license or uh, people who want to print and so on. Do you, do you plan to, if, if, you, if you want to talk about this, I mean, it's fine if you don't want to talk about this. If, do, you, do you plan to monetize somehow your popularity? <laughs> well, um, so, so yes, there have been some print sales um, uh, and uh, there have been some uh, licensing and publication requests. And um, I've been contacted by a few media organizations. The Washington Post ran the picture last week as part of their, they have a, a weather-focused section, um, and they ran it there. Um, I was contacted by a few other very large organizations w about permission to, to show the photo, um, which I granted, uh, but these were all sort of conditional uh on, you know, if, if we have breaking news, we won't be able to show it, so on and so forth. So I had a couple of, that fell through, but I had several um, news organizations that, that did run it. Um, and as far as, as monetizing goes, uh, you know, print sales um, certainly gotten a lot more followers um, at, at my various social media places. Um, and I'm working now with a... Um, with um, a group that uh, markets uh, various images and stories to news organizations worldwide. So they'll sort of be pitching these um, photos of the whole series that I've done on Fog to magazines and newspapers around the world on my behalf. So that should be happening next few months. Yeah, I think that's really important what you, what you say here. If people want to do somehow... Uh, get uh, benefits from photos that might go viral or become very popular. And that, that can happen unexpectedly, as you said. You were just asleep, and then you, the morning after you realized that this was uh, starting to drive a lot of traffic and, and so on. And if you want, you, you need to be prepared to, uh, to use this popularity because in a few days or a few weeks it will everything will be back to normal if you don't that's right that's right i'll be a nobody again <laughs> um you know it, it and it's true and and you know there are quite a few things that i learned um that i should be doing uh more consistently you know i didn't even have the photo up on my uh, on my uh on my website in a prominent place so i, I quickly had to scramble to sort of get it get it uh posted prominently and, uh, and, you know, really for somebody like me who doesn't have a lot of 
experience with publication and media and so forth, it, it can be really daunting. Um, you know, you get all of these messages from different places saying, we want to run your photo, uh, and you never know, okay, are they going to get upset if another place runs it also? Mm -hmm. Do they want exclusivity? Um, and so there are a lot of things that you sort of have to very quickly consider and, and decide on the spot, pretty much. Um, and, and as you said, this is a, a very temporary thing. You know, once once a photo like this goes viral, you have a limited amount of time to to take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. And yeah. Uh, I mean, another takeaway lesson would be post your images to Reddit. <laughs> I think that. That exactly exactly yes most immediately <laughs> I, I had i had an article of mine not an image but an article and uh, it was picked up by a few photography oriented news sites but then it really started skyrocketing towards uh, high levels of traffic when it was picked up and shared on reddit so it looks like yes, it's a reddit big is an amazing machine. place yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. i think it's i think it's, it's where i've gotten the most most of the attention yeah. to my photography is, is interestingly through Reddit, not through the other photo sharing sites. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a great image. I mean, it's, uh, it's really looks like an outerworldly scene. So I encourage everyone to, to go look at it on your website, which is if you can uh, just uh, let people know where people can find your image, your website. Sure. It's uh, www.elmofoto.com. That's yeah. E-L-M-O-F-O-T-O.com. So, yep. I think that's um, that's about it about this image, unless you want to add something more. I would just like, before we wrap this conversation up, to ask you uh, maybe a couple of questions about your future plans, if you have any, any travel plans. I know when we got in touch a few months ago, we were discussing about Norway, so I know you've yes. been there. You have any any other plans of uh, places you would you're planning to visit this year or in the next year? Well, um, I will be in Italy um, in October for a little while, visiting some family and maybe taking a, a few photo outings. Um, that's not a, a photo specific trip, but I always bring my camera with me. Mm -hmm. um, as far as uh, Photo-specific trips, I was just chatting with my group of friends that I've traveled to Norway with before last night, and we're um, trying to set some dates for February for a two-week trip to Norway with a possible addition of a week in Iceland, either at the beginning or at the end. So um, that's the big trip that I have planned for, you know, the next uh, six months. Great. We'll be... Looking at your profile, keeping an eye on it to see if you can get some Norwegian fog or Icelandic fog. Shows. I like the I like the green Norwegian fog. Uh -huh. Ah, yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> fog high up in the sky. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, so so great. Um, before uh, saying goodbye, I would like to ask you to name one other photographer that you admire, that you've been following, that you would suggest that our listeners follow as well, if you have somebody in mind? Sure. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to mention my friend Larry Neenkark, who is uh, a good friend and a fellow fogaholic. Mm -hmm. um, he's uh, the person that I have uh, consistently shot with the most over the last year. He uh, lives in Marin County, which is the area that I've been photographing and he knows Marin County like the back of his hand and uh, Northern California in general. 
Um, and I, I admire both his uh, capture skills and his editing skills. Uh, you know, when we when we shoot together, he's always sort of wandering off looking for the not so obvious compositions. Um, and uh, I really have a, a great appreciation for his artistic eye. Um, he's also really creative and, and great with his uh, editing skills. So uh, his photos always have a very interesting take to them. Um, besides all of that, perhaps most importantly, he's just a really nice guy. Um, he's always up on Mount Tamalpais, which is the place where I've been doing most of my shooting over the last uh, little while. And uh, it's a fairly popular spot now because of uh, social media and people sharing fog photos and other kinds of landscape photos. And uh, every time that we're up there, people are driving by, they stop and they're saying, they'll stop and ask him, hey, are you that guy, Larry? So he's fairly well known. I call him the mayor of Mount Tamil Pius, but uh, he's a great guy. I can can attest to that. I met Larry when I was in San Francisco last time. And, uh, oh, so say good. say hi to him on on my behalf, and actually he I offered will. to um, to to cut, to go shooting one morning with me on Marin Heights or someplace like yes. that to take those iconic shots of the Golden Gate that I was hoping to get. But alas, there was no fog <laughs> forecast for that day, yes. so we couldn't go. Maybe next time well, we'll go all together. Yes, I'll, I'll definitely say hello to him. He, he's he's a he's a great guy yes, and uh, sure. fun to to hang out with, and uh, and I have a lot of admiration for his photography. So we'll put a link to to Larry's website on the, on the show notes as well. Fantastic. So, anything else you would like to add? No, I don't think so. I think we covered most of it. So, it's, unless there's uh, anything else you wanted to know. No, it's it's been great, and uh, so now people know where they can find you if they didn't know already. And uh, thanks for uh, for sharing your your insights on how to get a photo become viral, <laughs> or how oh, to you're shoot, welcome, <laughs> or, or how, it, yes, even better how to shoot shooting. a great photo of fog. <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome. well. Thank you, thank you very much, Hugo, for the interview. I really appreciate it. It's it's been a pleasure, and uh, all the best, and take care. Same to you. Thanks, Hugo. Bye. Bye-bye. So this was a great conversation, and who wouldn't want to be in Lorenzo's shoes these days? If you have an opinion about this, just head over to our website at ttim.photo forward slash 43 and leave us a comment and tell us what you think. Also stay tuned for next week's episode. That will be an interview with acclaimed nature and travel photographer Susan Onisco. And the episode will be released on October 4. Have a nice week, everyone.